0: Radio.com. You're listening to Run As Radio, the internet audio talk show for IT professionals with Richard Campbell and Greg Hughes. This is Brandon Wen announcing show number 113 with guest Ken Brumfeld, recorded Thursday, April 21st, 2009. Run As Radio is produced each week by Pwop Productions, providing professional media and podcasting services online at pwop.com. You can follow the boys on Twitter at twitter.com slash runasradio. Thank you very much. This is Richard Campbell, and uh, with me as always, my co-host, Greg Hughes.
1: Hey, Richard. Hey, everybody. Great day today?
0: Absolutely. Always a fun day. And guess what? Renovation, almost finished. We're moving into the house. Sweet. It's only been 16 months, you know?
1: Very, very cool. This is what
0: happens when you have a wife who's also a project manager, although she's in the garment industry versus me in the software industry. Right. We both <laughs> appreciate the iron triangle of time and quality and cost, and so yep. we wanted to maintain the quality, and we wanted to keep the budget under control, which meant we went five months long.
1: Long, right. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but we're okay with it. You know? Nobody's surprised. Everything's good. So I'm pretty happy with the project, and it's nice to be getting home finally. Very cool. All right, let's uh, dive right in with our guests here. Ken Brumfield is with Premier Field Engineering based out of New York, working with some very large enterprises in multiple sectors. His main focus these days is solutions for driving operational health at customer sites. He works in identity management space and is spending a lot of time ensuring the stability and performance of globally dispersed environments. He's made a number of tools that are available on Codeplex.com for people that need to maintain Active Directory. Welcome, Ken.
2: Hey, Ken. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me.
0: Uh, Our pleasure. The PFEs are our friends. We've come to appreciate this. You are the guys out in the field making stuff work, and it's really interesting to get your insights on how you're solving problems.
2: Yeah, I'd love being out in the field. Uh, It's working with customers on a day-to-day basis that really helps me understand uh, the difference between where we would like to be and uh, the challenges that they have to live within.
0: Yeah, you, sure. You're working with enterprises. We're talking about big enterprises. Maybe we shouldn't name names here, but what's big to you?
2: Well, most recently over the past three years, I've been working with customers that are 250,000 seats and up. Ouch. Great yep, big enterprise. And,
0: and, yeah. like, and, and like I said, you're bio globally dispersed, so they're not just all in New York?
2: Correct. I'm based out of New York, but uh, the PFE team is global, and I work with my peers all throughout the uh, world and help them with some of the challenges they face with their customers. Part of this comes through the tools I've written for Active Directory, and part of it comes through my operational background as well.
0: Cool. Uh, So what, what changes when you're talking about a quarter million seats? Uh, in terms of management, and, and is this really a client problem or a server problem? Like, we, what's your challenge here?
2: Um, there's a lot of challenges, actually. You know, when someone goes, Can you get this data? it completely changes the picture. When you have to replicate and get this data across 40,000 servers, across uh, 250,000 clients, it, yeah. it makes it very challenging to turn things around on a dime like that. Um some of it's the tools aren't out there to handle environments that size. Uh, part of that is because there's only there's a very small subset of customers that reach that scale. So it's very hard to build out labs to test applications that vendors put together to uh, scale to environments that size. But yeah. the other part of it too is uh, a lot of us tend to focus on when we're troubleshooting. This one box is broken, right? Uh, so I'm going to fix this box. And I really don't care if this is scalable to the rest of the systems in the enterprise or on the platform or whatever right, view right. you have of it. So um, a lot of what where I try and bring that knowledge in is try and make processes repeatable.
0: Right. Well, I'm just thinking if I have 40,000 servers, I'm not RDPing into them one at a time.
1: Oh, uh, you'd be not.
2: surprised at how some stuff gets done. <laughs> the challenge being is that the tools aren't necessarily there to quickly do it any other way.
0: What does an AD infrastructure look like at that scale? Like, I don't want to see 40,000 yeah. servers in my network neighborhood. That would be bad.
2: <laughs> well, that's the end user experience, and that's a, that's a function of NetBIOS browsing, which is kind of going away. Um, and. We want, there's a lot of infrastructures out there that even in smaller scales, you know, tens of thousands of seats, uh, thousands of seats that really don't do a whole lot of, um, automation to remove that experience from the user. Um, it, a lot of, it's interesting how a lot of companies still expect the users to be able to find something in that environment and the tools to deliver those services to users just really aren't prepared. Um, I've seen time and time again in desktop migration scenarios where you have uh, you have a large quantity of users who end up not having all their drives remapped after the migration because they're persistently mapped because some help desk technician went over there and right clicked and my, uh, said map this right? drive, and then all of a sudden they te- the help desk comes call comes back in on the back end and says, hey, I can't get to this file. Well, I don't know where it is. It's just been there.
0: Right. Yeah, and of course the customer doesn't know that it's a drive mapping issue.
2: They just said it went away.
1: Right, where's my Z drive, yeah? Exactly. So, but
2: my a lot of my work really tends to be more on the back-end infrastructure, making sure that the services are there to provide as much transparency to the client as possible. And when you start to see these large enterprises, what you see are multiple directory services, multiple platforms of directory services, and multiple users' I, IDs uh, and multiple or even consistent user IDs, but multiple passwords because of the different identity management infrastructures. And that makes a really miserable experience for users.
1: You're saying you might have a an active directory or even competing active directories out there. You might have Novell directories or other types of, of services that are completely different platforms, and how do you make those work together? Is that that's the kind of experience you're talking about?
2: Well, it's not just making them work together. It's making them work together in a way that's transparent to the end user. And okay. that's where the, yep. that's where a big challenge comes in.
0: Well And you suddenly had this vision of, you know, that, that tech support guy that went into the customer machine and, and fixed it for them didn't know he was going to create grief going further down the line. Like once you get to the scale on-site touches suddenly become bad. You want them always managed in profile and and things like that so that they do survive from uh, year to year. Yeah,
1: Great example of tactical solution becoming a strategic problem there.
2: Well, then there's the flip side of that coin when you're dealing with a large enterprise. If you look at every solution as strategic, nothing ever would get done.
0: Right. Yeah. Why can't I just go out and help the guy? Why do I have to go through this whole process?
2: Right. Yep, good point. Yep, exactly. Why should, the, why should getting this guy access to this file be escalated to engineering and all sorts of different other internal groups and take three days? Yeah. yeah the, the unique challenge. Then the challenge that you add on top of that, too, is when you're running a business, whether it's an IT business or a retail business or whatever other sort of business you're doing, you need to be able to measure the service you're delivering. Right. And when you start looking at these multiple directory infrastructures, um, the, these numbers of scale, it's very difficult to actually figure out um, what's happening. Part of that's because the tools aren't there. Part of it's because the methodologies aren't well practiced. Um, but that's where I've been doing a lot of my work over the last couple of years, and really, that's been it's been using the tools that exist in ways that allow us to actually measure what's going on in the larger enterprise uh, in terms of identity management.
1: So so what does that mean? Maybe give give some examples of how, how you use these tools and what it is that you're really focused on, um, and that maybe that will help us to better understand what are the, the real-world problems that you're solving.
2: So coming from a Microsoft world, I obviously know the Microsoft tools and products best. Um, when I talk about doing this in scale, What I need to be looking at is business intelligence tools. That's really pointing us to tools like SQL Server reporting services, SQL Server um, analysis services. And when you start looking at, let's say, something simple like costing, um, account, how much of an impact user passwords changing uh, or having to be reset by the help desk has in a large enterprise, yeah. That information comes from a large quantity of different sources. It can come from security events, it can come from help desk data, um, and then one of the things that you have, too, is you have your shadow um, account password resets, where a user right. goes down to local help desk guy or local SA, and a ticket never gets open. So that's why you have to look at these multiple data sets and your security data as well as your help desk tracking. That starts to help you get numbers about what the real cost is, which you should get from your security audit data, versus what your um, known cost is, which is what you're staffing for in the help desk, plus what's your shadow cost. And the real big danger with the shadow cost, too, is that you're really looking at things that are bypassing your security system about passwords, uh, user accounts being reset. In other words, is there a justification for these people to do, be doing this behind the scenes, and are they... Is something nefarious going on? Not to get overly paranoid, but that's always a risk.
1: Or, or can something nefarious go on based on the fact that it can be done, right? Exactly. How, how do you know what you don't know?
2: Right. And really, the, when you're dealing with scale, the only way to do that is to start using the tools that we have available, which is, are the BI solutions.
0: So literally, this is uh, you know, an IT reporting system on your IT infrastructure.
2: Exactly, why are we just using b i in lines of businesses? Why aren't we using b i in the back office?
0: yeah to help us understand our own system reports about reports sure e- exactly <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: it's the meeting to plan the meeting and the report to report on the report
0: ah uh, nice yeah,
2: pictures are very important <laughs> too
1: well with i i mean i t being you know and especially over the last several years as i t has been elevated more and more toward you know a Uh, a first-class participant in the business process, Um, IT uh, departments, management, uh, and people have have started to see the real value in doing that kind of analysis, right?
2: Definitely. And when you can get this data to the people who need to make the decisions, it, it enables them to actually start looking at their environment in the large scale like they need to instead of worrying about which server is down, and which bunch of users are hot because of that, so that they can make right. those decisions at a more strategic level.
1: Well, it's certainly a lot easier for a CFO to have to have some numbers in front of him or her uh, to justify, you know, why it is that you need to a hire another uh, help desk person or service desk person in order to answer these calls, or b invest in infrastructure to reduce the the load on the help desk. Uh, you know, much more so than the IT manager or director walking in and saying, "Just give me the money. I just need it."
2: Correct. And then you start looking at topics like account provisioning, deprovisioning, how many labor hours are incurred during that, what's the cost of your approval process, all very exciting stuff for any technologist, but (laughs) a very significant impact on the way the business operates. Sure,
1: absolutely. Absolutely.
0: Well, and and, yeah, these are great. I always did well in the boardroom for these kinds of things. You could now figure out, hey, every time we change passwords, it costs us this many thousands of dollars, both in the cost of the tech support guys helping these people and lost productivity of those people while they're waiting to be helped.
1: Right, the opportunity cost, absolutely.
0: Suddenly the cost of the tools to automate this stuff and and the resources to, to make that smooth are cheap compared to that impact.
2: It, exactly. One of the analyses I've done for a couple of different environments is, what's the rate of account lockouts uh, due to, in relation to the amount of passwords that have to be changed on a on a daily basis? Right. Because a lot of companies have password policies, a lot don't, which is equally scary. But right. those password uh, history policies, when people have to change their passwords, people are going to mess that up. When... The, and the rate uh, I've managed to calculate from the environments I've looked at is about 10% of all the accounts that would have to change their password on any given, given day end up locking themselves out. Wow. And if you're looking at, say, a 1,000 password resets a day, that's a 100 um, accounts that lock themselves out.
0: Right. If you look right. at
2: a Gartner number of 10 to $31 per user ID problem, that the help desk has to support, whether through an automated yeah. solution or uh, a direct phone call, you're looking at a spend of between $10,000 and 30000 a day just to deal with the account lockouts that happen as a result of a password change policy. Yeah. Nothing's wrong with the password change policy, but it's just business. There's a number associated with that.
0: Isn't this just making a great case for smart cards?
2: Well... Um, well then you have to have your bypass systems and you have to worry about all the fact that their users are going to remember their smart cards. Right. But these are the sorts of numbers you need to look at for a smart card system.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Why it matters.
1: So take your hypothetical here or semi hypothetical and talk about talk about a common solution for that. It sounds like you have some pretty predictable numbers for what you see out there. What are the what are the predictably effective solutions to this problem?
2: Well, you have Uh, The ability to lower the volume of your account lockouts by either extending your um, password change frequency. Uh, Windows 2008 has some granularity, which allows you to change your password change frequency based on uh, group membership. So you would might be more restrictive on your admins, less restrictive on your uh, uh, lower-risk users. Uh, And that would... Allow you to minimize those costs across the enterprise without really effectively compromising the um, overall cost. Get you away from that one size fits all solution, right?
1: Sure, yeah. I mean, in other words, yeah, you know, b- improve the usability of the system in a way that works for the users. Sure. I know, Richard. I think we we talked about once that one of the things that that we decided to do several years ago in an IT department was to change the password expiration from sixty days to forty two days. People said that they thought that would actually result in more calls to the help desk, but it actually resulted in less simply because it was a multiple of seven and we stopped getting calls on the weekends because, right. you know, if it expires on a, on the same day during the week, each time that you do a, do a reset, cause we found out that most of our calls were coming on the weekends.
0: Yeah. That's where you have the grief because the guy can't help himself. So it's an exactly, interesting yeah. problem. And then, you know, getting back to this whole point of these really large infrastructures you're dealing with here, Ken, all that, this the scale represents is a multiplication of the pain. This is pain we have with a hundred users. It's just that it's manageable, but when it's a hundred thousand users, it's a huge cost sink.
2: I would argue that it's not so much that it's manageable, as it's not cost effective to implement a um, automated password reset solution when you have a hundred right. users as it is when you have five hundred thousand.
1: Sure. Right. If the cost of the software is pretty comparable for each of those two situations, then you're going to get more bang for your buck when you spend it in the larger the larger volume environment.
2: Exactly. So uh, we're still working within that BI space, though. It's not just the identity management aspects of this, too, that it's also the manageability of the systems. When you're looking at back-end products that collect configurations of the systems, etc., when you're looking at having to make sure the systems are performing properly, uh, I don't know if how many of the listeners have actually used perfmod, but if you try and add data from three or four different servers and look at the processor trend, say across ten servers, it's a very tedious exercise. But when you start using BI and backending it against uh, an application like SCOM, uh, you can start to look at the servers in scale. You can start to look at your trend analysis of processor load over time, whether or not it's growing and trending up and you need, might need to capacity plan, or whether or not um, all of the servers are running at the same equivalent load, or whether or not you have a hot spot during the day that you need to capacity plan for. Uh, it's not uncommon where I've seen environments where you have 40 servers uh, servicing a web-based app or some sort of application, which peak between, say, 9 and 10 in the morning. Right. And they're 50% busier between 9 and 10 in the morning than any other time of the day. But to catch that using something like Perfmon uh, without having some sort of automated back-end data warehousing-type scenario starts to become very expensive and very tedious. Right, right.
0: So doesn't uh, MOM take care of this, the, the operations managing tools? Isn't that its role in this whole scenario?
2: Yes, it does. It, but what it looks for is have these systems exceeded their thresholds. Right. That doesn't give me any business intelligence. That doesn't let me know when my system's the busiest. That doesn't let me know that I need to, I should have my guys, um, staffed between 7 and 10 in the morning to handle urgent issues. That doesn't let me know I shouldn't plan a meeting for 10 a.m., um, Otherwise, I run the risk of losing that to a production, a major production outage. That doesn't help me plan my green zones on the server.
0: Yeah, and and I, you know, you spend a lot of time as an IT manager, at least, figuring out when is the best time for us to do management on our servers. When can we take gear down or do an upgrade? Those sorts of things. I've had plenty of sites where weekends are just not an option. Weekends are peak time, and you've got to leave the machines alone. You got to be very sure that everything's stable there. We ended up having. You know, guys take their days off on Mondays and Tuesdays because it's quiet.
2: Exactly. And that's the point, right? We're trying to, it's about trying to move the um, capacity planning and the understanding of the business from the frontline tech guy up a level or two to the IT managers who need to be able to make these decisions and work with the businesses.
0: Right. So what, I mean, you're giving me a sense here of, I know what I want to do, but there is no tooling specifically around this. This is up to me to build these things?
2: Well, SCUM actually does an excellent job of this. It collects a lot of the data, and it's got some good reporting in it, but um, it doesn't necessarily work for every environment.
0: And uh, do we need to define SCUM for those who don't know what it is?
2: Uh, Yes, System Center Operations Manager. Right. Uh, The follow her on to Microsoft Operations Manager. Right. So it, correct, it's not the tool is there, the data collection is there, the engine is there to get the data you need, and not everyone wants to look at data in the same way, which is why the B, I really like the Microsoft BI stack because it's so easy for me to throw together a report. It's so easy for me to train a customer to get to throw together a report. Now, it might not be the best, the prettiest SQL code in the world, but um it's functional, and they can get the data they need a lot faster and regularly and repeatably, and share it with other people in the organization in a way they didn't have uh, an ability to do before this.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but I also think you've got to you've got to go when you look at things beyond SCOM. It's things like your help desk reporting into this. Like the heartbeat of help desk is a huge measure of that sort of thing.
2: Correct. And you definitely need to integrate these, these data sets. And that's where the, the again, where the BI-type concepts become very valuable. Right. Because you have multiple back-end data sources that you can bring together in one report.
0: Well, and, and then you tie that in with, okay, we obviously see we have huge help desk hits on uh, you know, Monday morning. Why? And that's when you, you suddenly reveal this, everybody's password expired over the weekend.
2: Exactly. And in some fashions, too, it allows the IT department to become a service provider. Right. If you have a uh, help desk organization that's uh, distributed, they don't necessarily all use the same software or all use tie into one single system. But when you can look at the back end and say, "Hmm, we're seeing this many security events related to password resets, account unlocks, um, and your data is not lining up with that, there's... What's going on here? Are you actually staffing appropriately across your regions?
0: Oh, I see. Right. Yeah, it's yeah, it's interesting to see how all these things affect each other, and I mean, you know, can you actually have this stuff balanced properly?
2: Right. And one of the one of the other scenarios is it's based, it's analog it's still expectively uh, kind of I guess in the BI world is real time notifications. it's when you have on the identity management states. You've got this concept of things called service accounts or functional accounts or generic IDs that applications that may service thousands of users depend on in order to get access to network resources. So in addition to that, what you have are uh, the ability to become a service provider of sorts. When you are managing in your identity, in the identity space, and you're tracking what's going on with accounts unlocking, accounts blocking, passwords being Um you can use these tools like SCOM, et cetera, to push that information out to the owners of these IDs. And that way what you're doing is you're delivering real-time notifications to the business of when something happens to an important component of their system, which they may not have visibility into uh, because they're not going to know from the server side that the account has been locked in AD. They'll just know that all of a sudden some piece of it will break.
0: Right. Yeah, and what that actually is, you know, especially when you get into local machine logins and things like that, where people can really get confused as to what's broken and what isn't.
2: Right. And then it also becomes a troubleshooting effort to find out as opposed to an integration of monitoring systems to share with each other what's going on
0: when you're dealing with these sort of globally distributed companies and then it's multiple data centers i mean i don't think we have anybody's got a data center with 40,000 machines in it all in one place uh how much does the remoteness complicate this like do you consolidate the data in a in a given data center and then move it to one central location or do you you know pull everything simultaneously like i'm just thinking you you're getting into that measurement effect where the process of managing this creates more problems
2: yeah, and that's always the challenge. Um, are we? The question is, when you, in my mind, is is this good process to have? Is this good overhead? And sometimes it's no. And when you've got, when you're dealing with uh, groups that are globally distributed, um, they're always at different levels, different skill levels, right. different levels of the OS, different levels of operational maturity, and in a way, this BI becomes a tool to bring them all up to a consistent level. Because a lot of people start looking at this and go, ooh, I want that. And then you can start figuring out how to get that data from all of the regions and all of the different operational groups. Sometimes it's about having multiple systems and tying them into together using the functionality of SQL Server Reporting Services to look at multiple back-end databases. Sometimes it's about uh, replicating all that data to a central location. Right. Based on what's needed to run a report globally, but there's flexibility within the product suites that allow you to actually do that.
0: Um, yeah, it's still, it's a, maybe there's better third-party tooling around this sort of thing. Now I start thinking about stuff like good old Tivoli and and uh, OpenView and
2: the like. And those are those are very good product. Um but again, you're looking. It's not necessarily the tool that you use to collect the uh, data that matters. Right. It's the ability to get to that data on the backend.
0: Yeah, and combining all those multiple sources together, the actual states of the servers, with the sort of policies being taken, say on the AD side, with the impact on help desk. What other key elements have we got here that you want to mix together to actually get a picture?
2: So, um, well, the other half of this I spend a lot of time working with is performance. Right. Because I run into, and it's a passion of mine, And I've seen customers run time and time again into a performance issue that just happened. And then when you start looking back at data, it's been going on for a long, long time. Oh, yeah. And so it's also about taking that information from throughout the regions to make sure that all the systems are operating properly as well.
0: Yeah, it's funny how often after a failure we go back through the event log and see that our server's been telling us it was going to die for months
2: exactly and it's um, and it's very and it's and when you see that stuff it's hard to say hey this is you guys have had this problem for months at a time yeah but you haven't caught it to date so there's not something that changed last tuesday right. it's something that changed 3 months ago that started causing this problem that for whatever reason just hit you last tuesday
0: right yeah the stars aligned last tuesday and that error that issue finally you know, came to fruition in the form of something serious.
2: Right. And that's another space that having this data historically becomes very valuable. Having SCOM or some other monitoring software in there collecting this history so that you can go back and look at it and say, well, it just went over this little hump or the stars aligned just right on last Tuesday to cause this overall issue. Um, sometimes it's interesting, though, trying to troubleshoot that because the focus is on what star changed? What what was the last star to align? When you need, and you have to put the time and effort into having those conversations to say it's not the last star. It's let's get everything else fixed so that that last piece doesn't matter.
0: You know, Microsoft. This I, this all seems very familiar to me. And it suddenly hit me there was a, there was an initiative inside of Microsoft called the the Dynamic Systems Initiative. And I don't know if it's sort of gone away. I just went and poked at the Microsoft site, and the page is still there, but it seems dated.
2: Does that have to do with the um, rapid deployment of the desktops and configuration at the client side? That sort
0: of core infrastructure stuff, and then you you know business productivity stuff like that. It seems like it's what we're talking about.
2: Ah, yes. Okay. It it really is. The challenge you find in a lot of that I found in a lot of environments is there's a level of operational maturity that is not allowing them to get from the real-world challenges to the pie-in-the-sky ideal. And I don't mean pie-in-the-sky ideal um, in that it's a pie-in-the-sky concept. I mean that in the eyes of the person who's so embedded in day-to-day downtime, angry customers, right. it's really hard for them to start looking that far ahead, to go through the learning curve necessary to mature their operations to that level.
0: Yeah, start answering questions like, when are we going to need to provision more servers? And yet anticipating need rather than just firefighting the pain of today.
2: Exactly. Yeah. And one of the other challenges I find, too, is these guys, a lot of environments, a lot of people go with the best intentions to drive towards that DSI um, ideal. They buy the, They buy the software to do it. Uh, they start doing some work towards that, implement some of the software. But without being committed to it, it, it sometimes happens that they get distracted along the way. Right. So the software is bought and it's doing all this great stuff, collecting this data. But either the user interface is so cumbersome to use or they don't have the time to look at the data. And what when they do have the data, they might not know what to do with it. And yep. so these are all the sorts of things that I spend a lot of my time working with customers to really show them the value of building. It's not just buying the tool. It's not just going with the strategy. It's about building it into your day to day life right. to actually leverage it.
0: I mean, I'm falling into Covey-esque thinking, you know, the whole uh, seven habits uh, mindset of this is quadrant two stuff. This is preventative stuff that makes the, the crises diminish. And but it's just too easy to fall into that sort of quadrant three, what is proximate and pressing and, you know, the phone ringing at you is what we get caught up in as, as IT folks. Solve the problem today, not recognizing it's just creating more problems for tomorrow.
2: Right. It, exactly. You're 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 thinking tactically when you need to, and and you're not giving yourself time to think on a more strategic level. Right.
0: Well, and and all all these large scale things do is amplify that. This is right. This, I don't think this is really scale scale dependent. It's just that you know that when you have two hundred fifty thousand users that you messed up a security policy on,
2: you really hear about it.
1: <laughs> yes, you do.
2: That's that's exactly the case, and that um, it's. But the other ch- side of that too is, when you want to see which of the 250,000 seats have uh, have a configuration and which don't, it takes a very long time to be able to mine through all that data, as well.
0: Awesome. And that's
2: where I, that's where some of my um, tools on Coldplex actually come from. Is there's. Sometimes it takes a very long time to mine through the data to get your and the answers for it. And that's where I put together some Active Directory-related things that are really there to help uh, people automate some of the analysis of what's going on in their environment to save them the time, and, and especially in large environments.
0: Uh, what tools should we look at here that you've got on CodePlex?
2: Um, I've got... The project name is Active Directory Utils, um, so codeplex.com slash Active Directory Utils. Uh, I've got a replication diagnostic tool. It's kind of like RepAdmin, but it also does a lot of the filtering out of um, the known good states. Right. Now, and this has grown out of my experience in working when troubleshooting with customers, um, replication issues. Um, because reple, rep admin returns... Everything that's going on. And really, people who don't live, eat, and breathe that stuff need to know, what do I need to worry about? So there's another tool called Check DS Sackles that is up on Active Directory Utils. It's there because I dealt with customer after customer after customer that said, how can I get a list of what my permissions are in the directory? Right. So it outputs them in a very nice CSV format, which allows you to import it into Excel or a database and manipulate it there. The challenge is uh, when I was dealing with a lot of customers, they each wanted to do slightly different things with the data. Right. So what I really focused on was getting the data out in a fashion that could, could be data mined more than it was doing any sort of analysis.
0: Yeah, right. You're really distilling down Active Directory data that reams and reams of it into a common format that can be picked up by a BI tool, no problem.
2: Exactly.
0: Yeah, so you've got the transform part of, uh, of BI construction here in these tools to get all this data out. It,
2: exactly. That's. Um, I have another thing I'm messing around with there called AD Reports, which kind of back, a lot of it reports on the back end of, um, of the Active Directory utilities. But what it does is it allows... Um, To use SQL Server Reporting Services to take the output of those things, which is, and put it in a nice table, and use that to view the status of your enterprise. And the big reason I picked SQL Server Reporting Services was because then I don't have to, I can use this to schedule notifications that come into an administrator's inbox every morning, so that they have all the data they need to look at for the health of their environment on a daily basis or for the configuration of their environment on a daily basis. It's still pretty immature, but it's, a, it's an open source project that I'm just having some fun with.
1: Cool.
0: It sounds like stuff that people could contribute to. If you've got these sort of scale problems, these are the tools you need to start constructing that information system about your information system. So really key
2: ingredients. Exactly. And there's a couple of folks on the PFE team that I work with who've actually contributed to these tools as well. Cool. Um, and I'm always inviting more folks to join. So um, it, that's why it's out there as open source. Get the community contributing to helping the community.
0: Fantastic. Hey, Ken, we're about out of time. Any last words before we wrap up?
2: It's been a fascinating journey figuring out how to leverage what we're talking about in the Microsoft space is these great BI tools to enable your business and taking these BI tools and bringing these to customers to show them how to run their IT business. So just using them to support their end users, they're now using it to support themselves. Right. And that's been a really interesting and fun learning curve.
0: Yeah, awesome stuff. I keep thinking dashboard for IT. Great idea.
2: That's Ideally, that's like where uh, I'd like to get to, but hey, it's at, at some point in time, I'm sure we'll figure that out.
0: Yeah, one step at a time. Ken Brumfield, thanks so much for coming on the show.
2: Thanks. Very welcome. It's been a pleasure.
0: And we'll talk to you next week on Run As Radio.